Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Hear now the word of God. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, the second half of this letter, um, it presents a section that N.T. Wright says, quote, is the basic manual for living the Christian life. And he therefore recommends that we go back and read it regularly. In my work of pastoral counseling, I refer to these chapters, these three chapters of Ephesians, probably more than anything else in the Bible. And that's because complete allegiance to Jesus Christ must go beyond our doctrinal beliefs, beyond our theological understanding. It must be seen in our attitudes, in our words, and in our behavior, in our relationships. It must be Uh, We must have left the old way, and now we have to be seen, as the Bible tells us, as traveling and moving in a new way, in a new direction, with a new destination before us. And we're not traveling alone. And so much of this chapter is in the context of the church. We're marching to Zion together. This work of God starts in the church and then it is perpetuated, it is expanded or extended into our homes, into our relationships, with our marriages and our children. And so, if the Spirit is at work in this body, if the Spirit is at work in you and in me, then of course the fruit of the Spirit will be seen in our marriages and our children and all of our other relationships. Unity, which is the message of this section, or what we would call community or communion, will be evident. One body, one spirit. The last time we met in this and dealt with Ephesians, we considered the two words, one body, And we pointed out that we are connected to each other in the same way that the various parts of our bodies are connected. They do different things, but they're all united. Each of us represent uh, represent particular members of a body that function together as a whole, with Christ as our head. I pointed out that this is most obvious on a Sunday morning when we've gathered together in the same room and We go through the same liturgy, we sing the same songs, we listen to the same sermon, we do many things together here. And so this is a great visible representation of what this passage is talking about. But it's just as true, of course, when we disperse and go to our homes, go out into the community and into the world, we 
we continue to be connected. We are always connected to one another. And so a body is necessary, but what is a body without a spirit? We would call it a corpse, because it would have no life. We need something or someone to bring it all together, to animate this body, to give it life. And so the spirit is essential if we are to know the unity that the Apostle Paul writes about in this letter. A large part of the work of the Spirit is to eliminate those things that separate and that divide us. Remember, sin always separates. Sin always divides. Sin always kills. And that has to be eliminated if we are to unite, if we are to have community or communion. Now, this is obvious Now, excuse me, it is obvious that we still see great divisions in the church. There have been historic divisions, there are denominational divisions, and there are local church divisions. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal or fleshly. For where where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving, listen to this phrase, like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So there were divisions here in the what we call the New Testament church, the first century church. And he says it's because you're immature, you're, you're acting like babies. And you know, if you say that to a baby, that's okay. If you say to an adult or a teenager, you're acting like a baby, that's an insult. That's a reprimand. That's, that's a rebuke. You shouldn't be acting like babies. You should be more grown up by now. And so I think we are often either ignorant or else we forget that living the Christian life means that we can't be mere men. There has to be something supernatural going on. If you're trying to do this on your own strength, you will fail. Unity in your marriage or in the church is the work of one Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. Baby Christians keep failing, and it's time then for many of us to get serious. It's time to grow up in Christ. While the Spirit is the cause of unity... There are also many persistent forces that have to be resisted which seek to destroy our unity. Unity has to be fiercely guarded and nurtured. That's true here, and it's also true at the outpost of the church, which is at your house. Unity requires diligence and hard work. It requires making use of all the tools that the Spirit of God has given us. And as long as you are striving in your selfish, immature, carnal strength, there will be no unity. And so, 
you, me, we all need something bigger and more powerful than us. Now, after God formed the body of Adam, formed him out of the dust of the earth, in Genesis 2-7 we read that he breathed the breath of life into him. Adam needed a spirit. He needed to be animated. I'll bet that um, Sam Lawless, who I know has been working very hard on his most recent Lego animation, wouldn't it be great, Sam, if after you assembled all your Lego characters, you could just breathe on them, and then they would move and do all the things that you wanted them to do? Um, Well, you know, that's what happens with Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. God takes the prophet Ezekiel out to the Valley of Dry Bones, and there's a As far as he can see, piles of bones, human remains. And God asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. And he says, speak to the bones. And he does. He prophesies to the bones and the bones rattle and they come together and the sinew and the flesh comes on them. And so now he's got, instead of a valley of dry bones, he's just got a valley of corpses bodies. And then God asked him again, Son of man, can can these bones live? And he says again, Lord, you know. And he says, speak to the wind. Speak to the spirit. And so this time, instead of speaking to the bones, he speaks to the spirit of God. And the wind comes. And the spirit moves. And he says, so I prophesied, and he commanded, as he commanded me, And breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And that is the picture of what the Holy Spirit does in bringing His church together. You're the dry bones. The body without the Spirit is dead. And what gives us new life in Christ is the Holy Spirit who animates us as new creatures and as individual parts of the body of Christ. The evidence of this is borne out in how we live. And thus Paul writes, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, he says, okay, there's going to be a change, something's going to happen. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And then here's the key part. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Now there are are in this world all kinds of spirits, many evil spirits, but there is only one Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the three persons of the Godhead, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And the Holy Spirit, we should always remember then, is a person, not an it, not an influence. The Holy Spirit is God. John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, however, when he, 
that is the Holy Spirit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whenever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he, that is the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and declare it to you. This life-giving work of the Holy Spirit begins with his work of salvation and and with the conviction of sin. This is really important. I want to point out a a few ways that the Holy Spirit brings about our unity. And it begins with his convicting work. Without this work, we remain in our sins. We remain separate from Christ. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. By this, we come to see ourselves and we come to comprehend that the trouble is not so much the things I do as it is who I am, what I am. That's the problem. It is the fact that I desire to do them in the first place. There's something wrong. There's something broken. There's something corrupt in me. And it's the first work of the Holy Spirit to awaken us to the realization of the fact about what I am. He leads us to a conviction of sin so that we can truly see our desperate need for Him. A radical change. We are humbled. We are broken. We come to see ourselves as we really are. And then when that has happened, then we're like that valley of dry bones. When we realize that we have nothing to boast about, it turns out That there is nothing in us to make us any better than any other corpse. Our former pride is put in the dust. And then we are are enabled to be one with all the other resurrected corpses. Now if this were true of every member of the church... If we were all humbled and lying in the dust, if we were all aware of our hopeless and our helpless condition, then there would necessarily be unity. So the Holy Spirit first produces unity by stripping us of ourselves and then bringing us together in the body of Christ. Now, a person can join the church... They can attach themselves to the body of Christ. They can be baptized. They can take membership vows. They can objectively join the church. But unless you have the life of the Spirit within you, you cannot know this vital unity. You remain an appendage without a function. A dead member. A fruitless branch that the Bible says eventually will be pruned. Listen to how Jesus described it in John chapter 15. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, there's that objective person who's attached themselves to Jesus in some outward way. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them up and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, which we've already looked at, Paul already describes us this way, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And Peter says it this way, You have been made partakers of the divine nature. Remember, mere men can't do this. You see, we now belong to the same family. We are brothers and sisters. There is an essential unity of the Spirit. And this is the basis for church unity. And so we all start out at the bottom. And we've all been given the same new life in Christ. We're all now looking at the same person. We're all listening to the same word. And we're no longer looking at what divided and separated us. And so the next step in the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing about unity is our being incorporated into the body of Christ. Having prepared us, He now unites us to Christ Himself, and when He does so, He unites us to one another. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit, for in fact the body is not one member but many. Not one part, but one. One unified thing. A body. Now we might not be conscious of how or when the Spirit does this baptizing, this incorporating, but there will be a consciousness of it that is apparent. Or, as First John says, obvious. The children of God are obvious. First John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And so, the unity comes about by the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us, and thus the organic unity of the body is preserved. This is, of course, comparable to how our physical bodies work. And another way the Holy Spirit brings about unity is that He does the same work of sanctification in each of us. See, this was just the start. Raising the corpse. Now the corpse is breathing and moving and thinking and feeling. He's doing things. You are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks in question 35, what is sanctification? And the answer is that sanctification is the work. It is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Each of us is made to be more and more like Jesus Christ. This means that each of us is becoming more alike. Ultimately, the Apostle John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. And so if the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us, then he will produce the same fruit in each of us. As we are filled with the Spirit, as we come under his control, you know the, you know the passage about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Everybody want to know what the will of the Lord is? There's a few times in the Bible where it just flat out says, you want to know the will of God? Here it is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. In other words, he wants you to be intoxicated with the Spirit. What do we mean when we say, oh, he's intoxicated? That means he's under the influence. If it's alcohol, then... He's under the influence of alcohol, but Paul said, no, don't do that. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be intoxicated there. He produces his own fruit in each of us. And that fruit is what also brings about our unity with each other. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified or killed the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk or, uh, or, or you know, move forward in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's the lack of the fruit of the Spirit that creates all of our divisions. That's true at your house and in the church. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the basic problem for all of us. Maturity is always about self-sacrifice and love for others, about denying ourselves. Paul, think about that. He contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now listen to this list. The works of the flesh are evident too. In other words, we ought to be able to look and see what's going on in your life. What's going on in your family? What's going on in the church? Let's 
we can do some triage here. The, the works of, we could say the fruit of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the spirit. The, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, uh, and the like. So if, if your thing wasn't in that list, but it's, it's, but, but it's sin and it separates and it's creating conflict, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in past time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I assume all of us have done some of those things sometime. I want to know if you're practicing it. Not like practicing the piano, but more like practicing medicine. A doctor goes to school, he becomes educated, he gets his license, and then he practices medicine. I hope he's not practicing in the same way. I assume he's getting better as he goes. But what we mean is it's the habit of his life. That's what he does. It'd be a way of saying, what do you do for a living? I do this. That's my practice. Okay? Which kind of fruit do you have? What is evident? The fruit of the Spirit or this fruit of the flesh? What is the habit of your life? Because the Bible says it's evident. In fact, John not only says that the children of God are obvious, but the children of the devil are obvious. Each one of these fruits of the flesh divides and separates and kills. They're ugly. And it's the difference between life and death. At every place in your life, where there is a conflict and disunity in your marriage, with your children, or in other relationships, then I would like to suggest that the Spirit of God has been quenched, suppressed. So Ephesians 4, which we will preach on later, later in this same chapter, Ephesians 4, 29-32, says, Let no corrupt word... No nasty words, no bad words, no hateful words, no, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, ever. Zero. No tolerance. But, what is, but only what is good for necessary edification, building up, that it may impart grace, ill-deserved favor, to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when you have that conflict, when you have those self-expressions, those, that fruit of the Spirit is expressed, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved. In 1 Peter it will say your prayers are hindered. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. First Thessalonians 5.19 simply says, do not quench the spirit. God is calling you and me to something bigger and better. But we have to die to ourselves first. The Holy Spirit must dominate us, control us, and animate us. 
When the one spirit is operating, we get a powerful, contrasting picture. Dr. Lloyd-Jones described it this way. We seem to be looking at a magnificent orchard full of beautiful fruit. We must look at the individual specimens. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love always unites. Then joy, this also unites. Our Lord says that the woman who found her lost coin went out and said to her neighbors, Rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I had lost. And the shepherd who had found his lost sheep spoke similarly. Then peace, the opposite of war and division. Long-suffering instead of fighting and division. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. These terms are self-explanatory and each one promotes unity. When the Holy Spirit produces this fruit, there is no room left for division or discord. He thus produces the unity. And our business is, with all lowliness and meekness and with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, to keep this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As was mentioned earlier, Ascension Day was last Thursday, 40 days after the resurrection. And on this Ascension Sunday, we celebrate the fact that not only was Jesus resurrected from the dead, but he also, as he ascended, then sent the Holy Spirit to his church. He had promised his followers that they would soon receive the Holy Spirit. He instructed them to remain in Jerusalem until the Spirit had come and given them the power that they needed to fulfill their calling. And so in the Gospel of John we read, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But that work of the Spirit did not stop with his first disciples. He had you in mind. Remember, he's omniscient. He had your name in mind. He had you in mind. The Spirit does his work in the church in every age. Ephesians 2, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are too often babies, self-centered and carnal, and we forfeit the blessings you have promised. 
We play around with our faith instead of earnestly pursuing the things which will make us mature in Christ. We try to stand in our own strength and we fail over and over and over. May the Holy Spirit grant us a fresh round of conviction of sin so that we might be humbled and made to see our helplessness apart from Him. Fill us with your Spirit and cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in abundant ways. May we know the joy of the unity of the one Spirit in the church and in our homes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he who gives more grace, therefore, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. As we come now to the table of the Lord, this is the place where we are reminded of so much of who we are as children, of who he is as our provider. It is here that we recall what he has done for us and what he has promised to do for us. And as we partake of the body and blood of our Savior, would you pray today to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill you, to control you, to work in you, to mature you. Would you renew the covenant you made with God to be not just his person, but to be part of his people, the church? And I want to remind you, mere humans cannot do this, cannot do what we're called to do. You need, I need, we need the work of the Spirit in our lives. O Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Fill us with bold and courageous faith that we might trust you and move. Grant us to see that our earthly hope is in the gospel of Christ, that we might act now to build and advance your kingdom. Enable us to obey your call, that we might actively evangelize the nations. And so we pledge to preach the word to be instant in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, 
Indeed, to teach men and nations all things whatsoever you have commanded. In this world, there are those who oppose you. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us by the strength of the Spirit and and your word to overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Father, the world is without excuse but not without hope. The nations weary themselves in vain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Father, we pray now you would bless our feast and our fellowship, our rest. Help us to delight in you and in one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.